Welcome once again to the Bitterjurs Podcast. We are a queer Legend of Korra super fan podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Ryan, and I'm joined by someone who might have something a little more exciting in mind. It's Sam Stanish. Oh, we are thrilled this episode ruled. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you um, for a little um, backstory, I guess, for those who missed it. Last week, Sam was fully ready to jump ship. He was not having it. Um, so I'm just glad he showed up. Um, I did almost quit the podcast, but I'm here. Um, this episode reinstilled my faith in the franchise, uh, and it's good to be here. Amen. Um, well, someone else that I'm glad is here. Um, she, the only thing she knows how to drive is a polar bear dog, though. Uh, it's Rachel Hobbs. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Rachel, tell us, before we do anything, what is your avatar slash Cora? journey oh uh it's a long one um i watched i watched avatar as a kid uh because who didn't and then somehow completely like i watched the end of season two and somehow completely missed the third season altogether uh and didn't watch that i didn't even know there was one until like much later in my life uh which is crazy finished avatar and then like it got pretty close because uh, I discovered the last season, the, the lost last season, um, <laughs> pretty late. Um, and so two years later, Korra was announced. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Um, and then, yeah, watched the whole thing like live on TV. It was so cool. And then uh, watched it when they kicked it onto Nickelodeon.com <laughs> only. Classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm here. Own the box set. And wow. I've watched it multiple times. I, I, you were talking about the loss last season and the like going to Nick Nickelodeon. Uh, over the weekend, I saw TV's Kevin Lanigan, who is a friend of the podcast, and he does a podcast about about community. And pretty much every time I talk about community, I make a joke about Yahoo Screen, and then I realize I do a podcast where the exact same thing happened, and now I'm sort of <laughs> regretting um, making a crack about it. Yeah. The tables have turned on you, not me. I would never say something like that. So the heat is on you. Sorry. I, the tables have been this way. I just didn't really look at the setting. <laughs> <laughs> Classic table setting mess up. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about episode seven, right? That's the number. Um, Indeed. Book one, chapter seven. Um, title unbeknownst to me. It's the aftermath. Um, the aftermath of Sam's breakdown is the sort of untold second half of the title but like sam said i really like this episode a lot um rachel do you like this episode yes um i it's not i don't think a spoiler to say um as a huge i was really big into like legend of Korra, like the ship names all that stuff um (laughs) as like a korasami historian this episode is very monumental for us lesbians and queer women (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, imagine all... the seed. <laughs> so it's very good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I obviously used one of those lines, like something a little more exciting, as she like peers coquettishly over her shoulder at Cora, and then the whole entire freaking car scene. Come on, I yeah. assume all that's what every lesbian first date is like, though. Yes, exactly. That is, <laughs> we all just take a take a quick race around our private <laughs> car tracks that we all have. Mm-hmm. At one um, point, Asami is like, "You really just gotta shake it up sometimes." Yeah, like, mm. yes. like, yeah, Cora. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Actually, I wrote something down that she said because I was like, uh, that was a little fruity. Uh, oh. Why are you uh, as a woman? Cora said I had you pegged all wrong. And I said, mm. interesting choice of words, Cora, with she, pegged. Uh, she wants to peg her all right. Exactly. <laughs> Every single line Cora has in this episode is a Freudian slip where she accidentally <laughs> says something <laughs> lesbian like. <laughs> as a lesbian supporter right that's, that's exactly. core of this whole episode um but yeah i mean beyond even that i think uh, like we said this is a really fun episode you got some fun little twists um we got some mechs there's mechs in avatar now which is cool um made out of pure platinum yeah that was a funny sort of like in universe like oopsie like we can't like what do you put up against these people who can bend the thing that presumably any evil weapon would be made out of um and they can't pull a x-men magneto like put in put people in plastic boxes situation um so we get platinum <laughs> like I, I love that little moment they're like uh oh yeah here's this material you can't bend anyway let's just keep rolling okay and i i was like fine with that i was like of course he's prepared to like the cops are metal benders. Like he's got to have some protection against metal bending cops. And then at the end, Bolin takes them through a hole in the ground. So it's just like the the ground is still earth. Like they can still get out. Like it's gonna be fine. Uh, and I, that was making me laugh because I was like, oh, like they could have escaped the whole time. <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't like utilize the earth around them at all. They're like, uh, we know we just bend metal. Yeah, uh, they must be so focused on m bending metal that they don't even realize when they're near earth. I mean, to be fair, like, that's me, like, in any job where I'm like, I'm not paid to do that. You just pay me to bend metal, Lynn. Sorry. You know, that's a little outside of my purview. Um, we're the metal bending it. cops. It would be bad for the brand if we were seen earthbending to save our own lives. It's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of Lynn, though, this is a really good Lynn episode, too. Um, we get to see her pull out the freaking Toph seismic waves, which is cool to see back again. And we get a free shot of her feet, which is... yes, that is exact. That was my first thought. I said Nickelodeon with the feet shots once again. <laughs> it's, she's got a little like slit in case any foot fetishists ever need to see it on a moment's notice. Mm. <laughs> Easy reveal toes. Yeah, a little. No yeah, I, did anyone else catch the Dan Schneider credit at the end of the episode? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, the very cool outfit moments for Lynn, though. She has freaking giant spikes that she can use. Like That was cool. Very Wolverine to go back to X-Men like we were discussing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, ACAB always, but I mean, it was fun. <laughs> and Lynn said ACAB at the end of the episode. I mean, it wasn't for the right reasons, but she got there. <laughs> she did. <laughs> kind of like Cor we said, Cora's kind of in a libertarian zone right now in her political ideology. That's kind of how I feel Lynn is, too. We'll push him left. Don't worry, everyone. You know the uh, quadrant thing for political ideologies? Do you think that each of those quadrants matches up to an element? Oh. It could. Uh, well, I and, think... and only by being a true centrist can you be the avatar. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, let's go ahead and do it right now. What's water? <laughs> I'm not, you know, smart enough to actually like... follow through on this joke. <laughs> I think water and air are on the left. Yes, that's and where fire I was going to go. and earth are on the right because they're more traditional. Yeah, I'm gonna I say so like much. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have so like... much lore. <laughs> I think I feel like it's gotta be authoritarian right has to be earth. Um 
libertarian um, left is air, and then you know the opposites. That makes total sense to me, honestly. Yeah, I'm. You know, I fully condone and support, <laughs> and think that this should be the founding of the next Avatar series. <laughs> Avatar gets political. <laughs> yes, they're the already very, the very apolitical Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Legend of Korra, but make its politics well thought out, much like the ones we just had here today. This was good, and I think we should keep going with this. <laughs> Follow this thread. Um, but I guess we should like kind of go. We could have been jumping around. Um, uh, let's start, I guess, from the top here, which we kind of we get, we get introduced this, to the idea that apparently the cabbage merchant from the original series went on to found some sort of cabbage corp situation. Um, and that's the kind of fan service that I like. Like it's just like <laughs> a fun little thing, and it, it's like they took a little moment from the first series and made it into like a follow-through character moment for the second one. Of course, the Cabbage Merchant would go on to fame and acclaim, or maybe he just sued Team Avatar once he finally caught up to them for all of the cabbages they destroyed. Yeah, I think that's that's a good, like, guess. I also like, because he has, like, a whole statue that we saw in, like, the beginning of the series, I think. Yeah. Um, and I he deserves it. He, des he carried that series, so he deserves a huge statue. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the statues we've seen have been... Aang, uh, Zuko, Toph, and now uh, Cabbage Man. Yes, so all the four main characters. <laughs> the four elements. Series. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and as Lord said, only bad people live to see their likeness set in stone, and we did see him get taken away by the cops. Mm. Yeah, they slandered his good name, too. He just can't <laughs> live, can he? <laughs> He's getting, like, framed for almost murder. And <laughs> Even prior to the framing, though, okay, like, normally I wouldn't discuss the previously on Legend of Korra thing in detail, but in episode six, we saw the radio announcer guy get electrocuted, and in episode seven, he's not doing the previously on. Am I to believe that he died? <laughs> it might have been a, um, a your co-host Joe situation. The vocal cords might be a little damaged, so he has to go on vocal rest for the week, I think. That's so true. Maybe for the next month or two, uh, Tarlock will be do. I can never remember his name. <laughs> I can do the uh, announcements. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. He has a cute voice, you know. Yeah, it was just sort of. Uh, I I don't know. I kind of like the pep he gives to the role. Tarlock is very no Tarlock. His Literally. name is Tarlock, and then Cora's dad's name is Tonrock. Yes. Everything's so confusing. <laughs> and we haven't met him yet, but for first-time watchers, there is a character coming named Unalak. So, yes. you know, just prepare for this. And they all have to do with, like, water. Well, not Unalak, but it's so confusing. Um, but I feel like uh, Tarlock is... He was very monotonous, quite sinister, obviously very on the nose. Uh, I do appreciate Radio Announcer Guy. He does... He really puts us in the era of like, hey, see ya. <laughs> Newsies. And that's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do like this as like a, we could get every character's take or spin on like the way things are going. Uh, but it's hard to come in after six episodes of the radio announcer guy and try to change it up. Yeah, I, I do. Like you said, like I like the idea of like sort of a very biased recap for us um but yeah radio announcer guy always crushes it um and i hope those vocal cords weren't fried too much by the electric glove 
Plus, if I'm going to get a bias recap, I'd like it to be from the people's perspective than some hoity-toity council member. Mm-hmm. Ponytail. <laughs> some ponytail guy has <laughs> Iki would use to uh, slur him. Um, well, uh, so then we kind of get into, apparently, the arena is shut down, which means they can't live in an apartment that looks unscathed, honestly. Um, don't know why they're being vacated from the premises, but... Um, at least they get to live in a mansion. That's nice. Yeah. After all the hard work that they've done, not capturing any equalists and letting them get away, they're going to go on vacation at Asami's mansion. Yeah. And that was my second part. Second favorite part of the episode was uh, all of them in their little swimsuits. I thought that was really cute. I love when like cartoon characters get an outfit change. I think it's amazing. It's the best possible thing that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we've t- like I feel like we talked about this before, but like Cora is like just like they're crushing the costume game. Like people get these cool costumes every episode. I love it, but yeah, these swimsuits are definitely a standout. Um, especially Bolin's. I want to own that in real life, please. Yeah, yeah, it's like what you were saying before, Rachel, about how it really just sets you right in the era and like the full body swimsuits on Bolin and Mako just are like, oh yeah, like they're in the twenties. Yeah, they're amazing. The old-timey bathing suits. Um, my thing with this scene was like, they were like, okay, well, yeah, but we're going to go live at Asami's. And then they get to Asami's house, and then Mako and Asami have this like two-second conversation about how like Asa- the Asami didn't ask at first, but it el- ultimately ended up being okay. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> like, what? what were- I guess they're like trying to establish that Hiroshi is like a good guy? I think I it's sort of like, the, why did I hear about this? <laughs> uh, I, uh, Cora pulls like a face after they say that. I don't know what that's about. Um, but I think maybe the idea is like, if Hiroshi, like maybe Hiroshi would have said no, because he doesn't want too many people around his gigantic secret mech factory. <laughs> maybe that's what they're going for. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, and well, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that maybe like Cora made a face because like she'd already she'd asked Tenzin and said yes and like made all the preparations for them to live on Air Temple Island. And then they're like, no, we're not coming. <laughs> that makes sense And she to was me. like, what? Like, and, and then she like shows up and they like didn't even, weren't really supposed to be there. And she's like, oh, F you guys. Like I yeah. had your beds all made. <laughs> oh, there were mints on it and everything. Yeah. Um, oh, that makes sense to me. Uh, but I also did note um that when uh asami says better to ask for forgiveness than permission i mean like cora i think can relate to that you know a little love connection there maybe they can bond over that oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um but but, i mean that's kind of the whole theme of this whole scene is that cora and asami would make excellent girlfriends because like come on what else (laughs) a freaking go-kart ride around a track so many innuendos like we were talking about my literally my note on this whole scene is they are so gay that's what yeah. i put down <laughs> literally and they're i i do like that like Cora's like oh she probably just wants to have like a spa day and like blah 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 and somebody's like i got the keys <laughs> yeah they're both like guys girls who end up dating <laughs> each other and then they end up being girl girls 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 <laughs> yes and yes. and then asami really does have starts having more and more of her like girl boss moments Mm. which we all know and love she girls the girl boss she girl bosses is the shit out of her dad yes yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh, we get this scene where cora is talking to tano 
um, which came way quicker than I remembered it. Like I, I thought that this would happen like later in the season, and still very confused with what they're going with with Tano as a character. But like obviously, this is a really sympathetic scene, and I did feel for him in this moment because like this is the first time we've really seen someone dealing with the loss of their outlier bending. Like we've seen the fear of it. And we've seen like the threat of it, but we've never like seen someone whose bending was taken away later. Right. Yeah. And he's just seems, I mean, physically is completely different. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it seems like literally so horrifying. And I think it's a good sort of reminder to core, like the stakes here. Um, like it, it can be kind of hard, like without a sort of like world ending scenario, it's kind of hard to remind the characters like what is like what could happen to them. Um, and so Tano serves that purpose and is also just very funny throughout this, like pronouncing the word avatar the same way they do in the movie. That's a cute little uh, like in joke. Love that. Yeah. Sorry, and, Sam, oh no. I mean, uh, well, we were talking it. Well, this is reminding me a lot of wheel of time because in wheel of time, they have this connection to this magical ability called the true power. And like, but there's a function in the world that can like cut them off from the true power and like they no longer have access to their magic. And there's plot lines in the book about the characters dealing with that. And it was uh, just making me think about that because in the book they get so depressed and like their will to live is almost completely gone. And I, it felt very similar. Yeah, I think it also starts like, cause I'm trying to remember, I did just watch like this episode and nothing else in preparation. Um, <laughs> But, like, because Korra then just starts having, like, this conflict throughout, like, the first season where it's, like, if I don't, if I lose my bending, if I don't have it, like, how can I be the Avatar without my bending? Um, so I think it's a nice, like, kind of introduction to that as well to, like, show her the, like, it's permanent and, like, the potential consequences of, like, getting too close to Mon. And I also noticed, um, which I'm sure, I've obviously, since we're going through the episode, we're going to talk about later, but how, like, there's a lot more, like, running in this season. Because, like, I feel like usually in the Avatar, it's like, we fight, we win, uh, we celebrate. But, like, there's a lot of, like, running. And, like, because it's, like, scary and it's, like, permanent and it's very dangerous. So it really does bring that also into, like, the foreground of the episode. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about characters, like, losing their sense of self in this episode specifically. Because, like, we're obviously dealing with Equalists who are trying to take away bending. But also, Lin completely loses faith in her ability to be the sh the chief. And, like, Tenzin is coming up against losing the Avatar. Like, Korra easily could have and or should have died in this episode. <laughs> uh, and just, like, and Asami's dealing with, like, her whole world shattering, too. So... Uh, those themes were very present for me. For sure, yeah, that's, um, I love that about this episode, um, and I also do uh, love that they're, they're kind of like, um, they keep bringing up this idea of like firebenders, like being very violent, um, like we got um, that This is the third time that this story Literally. has been told. The third, like uh, Mako and Boleyn's parents apparently were taken out by a firebender, Aman's parents were supposedly taken down by a firebender, and now Sami's mom it's like uh we kind of talked about it before but I like I wish the show would like address like what's going on here like are we, is it just because it's I don't know e like easy to associate firebending with villainy in like our in the viewer's mind given the events of Avatar or is this just like a societal thing it's just like uh, something I wish they would talk about a little more but I did love the thing I really liked about it in this was Hiroshi like 
being furious at Asami for like dating a, a firebender. Like that to me is like a really interesting angle to that relationship now, which there, <laughs> there wasn't anything interesting about it before. Um, but now that like, it just like adds a little tinge of like this guy, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. He seemed so like nice and sweet and innocent or whatever. And now he's just like, has this horrible hidden, like bigotry under there. Um, it's yeah, cool, a cool little moment. To me, all these firebending stories, and especially Hiroshi's comment there, like, makes me feel like firebenders and people from the Fire Nation have a lot more working against them in the larger society than non-benders do. Like, we hear over and over that, and this sounds horrible if you take away the metaphor, but I'm just like, you hear over and over from these non-benders being like, the world is set up uh, like for benders and like they have everything handed to them on a silver platter. But like there are clearly a lot of firebenders who like are less like poor and unable to like find work and like have to turn to like hurting people for their needs. And like there's clearly a perception of firebenders that like they're bad. Yeah. I also because like that is seen with um not Asami, her dad, Hiroshi, there it is. Mm -hmm. um, that scene with Hiroshi was also really interesting because it was like uh, pretty, not that thinly veiled um, prejudicial language. Um, like very much something like a white racist man would say about like his daughter <laughs> dating someone who is not white. Yeah. Um, which I like, and Avatar is always known for like being, you know, very metaphorical and stuff like that, especially with it being like a kid show, but like still teaching the, quote unquote like hard lessons um and i also think that like for firebenders um and it, i think it was brought up a fair amount in the first season but i think it's just the initial like aggression of firebending and how it's like viewed as something that can only destroy because that's all it's ever been used for um so that's probably where that prejudice come from comes from but it is also interesting that they're like because they do kind of <laughs> get like the bad fire kingdom rap because it's like they were kind of supremacists uh of firebending uh which is bad but um there is also like you're right like this other side to it like where there are poor firebenders and like you know not everyone is uh evil and fire can create light and whatnot which we learned <laughs> last <laughs> in the last show but from the dragons yeah. yes <laughs> um yeah i yeah it's it's cool that they are like sort of taking these ideas from the old show or like uh, exploring these ideas of like, yeah, genuinely what would the world look like after this fire nation literally just waged war on everyone else for 100 years. It's like, yeah, of course there's going to be this still this lingering pre like prejudice against this whole group of people, like mostly warranted because like, yeah, that was a thing that happened, but also like we're a generation at least like two generations removed from this at this point. Um, and so you can like understand like both sides in a <laughs> to really channel the avatar in a very centrist way, you know. Let's see both sides of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so they get they go to a like wait, okay. So Cora is visiting the uh, the Sato Manor, and mm -hmm. she overhears Hiroshi on like a phone call, uh, and he's like, "We've got a strike." while blah 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 and so they go and assault the factory and they don't find anything right 
Okay, to be fair to the, everyone else, Cora is operating off of very little here. She just, like, hears him. It's a very generic sort of conversation. He's just, like, just says something like, okay, it's time to strike. Like, that's really all he says. And she instantly is like, OMG, he's working for Amon. Which, to be fair, she is right. But she's, like, really, like, when you just, like, look at what he says, she really is just going off of nothing. Which I love for her. That's our Cora. Um she rightfully trusted her avatar instincts here. Um, but <laughs> thank God she was right because otherwise she was literally just like pulling at nothing. It was funny to me. Yeah, she's paranoid, um, but it worked <laughs> out this time. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, never trust a billionaire. So that's true. He is probably the richest man in the entire world. So, you know, he was probably, if it wasn't <laughs> the equalist movement, I mean, I'm sure he's got his hands in all sorts of different pots. Like, the triple threat triads probably work for him. I'm sure he's got a lot of different things going on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's what, that was the secret motivation. There. <laughs> yeah, like no one like bats an eye at the fact that he's like using these really aggressive, horrible business tactics against <laughs> Cabbage Corp here. They're all just like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. Um, like, Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like oh, it's everything's really above the board, sir. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I do. I don't remember. Do they like invade somewhere? I, he shows them around the factory, right? That's what happens. He like invites them to. Yeah, um, like they pull open boxes like they did in the beginning of the episode, uh, and they don't instantly find Equalist gloves. So they're like, <laughs> "There's nothing here." They don't. They don't like ruffle around or anything. Yeah, there's just like below a layer of like hay or whatever's in there. Yeah, like Naga is sniffing boxes. It's like, does she? Is she trained for this? Like, does she actually? <laughs> Does she know what platinum smells like? Yeah. <laughs> she, I believe she does. She's a queen. She can do oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then yeah. someone drops a scroll in Korra's palm, and she doesn't know who it was somehow <laughs> as he's walking past her. So they meet this guy under a bridge, and he's like, it's actually at the Sato's house. Yeah. Deep, our, our regular deep throat. Um yeah, I, what do we feel about this decision on Hiroshi's part to just have a giant secret factory under his own house? My favorite part about this was like, they're like they like buzz into the room and they're like, Asami, we need to find your father's secret factory. And she's like, there's no factory here. If you're looking for my dad, he's in his workshop. <laughs> <laughs> in his tiny, tiny shed with a gigantic hatch in the floor that I've never looked in before. Yeah, they're like his tiny workshop that he spends somehow like hours and days in. And every time and I've gone there, out. he's not in it. Yeah. <laughs> He yeah, tells me there. like not to go inside. It's very strange. <laughs> you know, dads. Go home. There's nothing wrong here. Yeah, poor Asami. She really. I mean, to be fair, this man has literally had her entire lifetime to convince her that there's nothing mysterious under his weird little shed. Um, but I will. We always have to applaud Asami here for just instantly being willing to zap the shit out of him, and fucking. Take out Mustache Man with the giant rods, like like it's nothing. He's always getting his ass kicked, though, Lieutenant. I mean, not by Bolin or Mako. They got clowned by him. That's true. Uh, so Asami proves her supremacy over the boys right there. I hope there. they have a rematch with him coming up so that we can see them uh, prove themselves. But between the deep throat scene and the bust into the Asato household scene, 
love anytime we can set a scene on one of these blimps. This is, it was so dramatic and the se the setting was just great for this like Lynn Tenzin convo about uh, the risk they're taking with just going and following this shady lead. Uh, it looked great. It was cool. It was like super dramatic to see them like fly up to the mansion in one of their blimps. Uh, so I loved that. Yeah, we love a blimp moment. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the uh, they may be cops, but they have cool uniforms and cool stuff, and they are having a good time. <laughs> yeah, nothing raises the stakes more like a good blimp talk. Exactly. It really, like, laid out all the motivations. She's like, I could lose my job. <laughs> like, <so laughs> all the standard stuff for cops. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, we are, once again, only seven episodes removed from the finale. So all these blimps, I'm just like, literally at any moment, one of these could crash into, like, every other blimp. And <laughs> something insane could happen. So blimps just really raise the stakes in a way that I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're banking on that. Like, yeah, we just watched an entire fleet of blimps almost burn down. Probably exactly where, like, where Republic City is. Um uh, so, but these are nice blimps. They're good blimps. Um, <laughs> are you doing propaganda now, or <laughs> I guess I on? don't know what's going on. I just, I just want to feel better about the fact that Lynn is really cool in this episode. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for the thin. Would it be golden line? Whatever their color is, <laughs> the thin metal line. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> the thin platinum line. Yes. Uh, <laughs> do we think that any of them have a Punisher logo on the back of their uniform somewhere? It's probably like bent into the back of their like metal suit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting because it's like the like the Nazi quote unquote like allegory was like the Fire Nation kind of, but you can't really align yourself with the Fire Nation if you're an Earthbender. I mean, I guess you can. If but you're then, like, in the Dai Li, that's your whole thing. That's true. Yeah, but I think they're more doing it just just you know for uh, shits and giggles. They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought Azula was anyway. really cool. <laughs> yeah, they're like, them. Yeah. it's kind of like the Elder Wand, and once you took out Long Fang, you get full ownership of the Dai Li forever until yes. someone removes you from the head. Exactly. Um, I was going to make a new Tenor reference as since we're watching that, but I, I'll refrain for the sake of probably everyone listening because they have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I know so far uh, is that cars and lesbians go hand in hand. And that is what I learned from being online and hearing people talk about Utena. Yeah, so that is relatable to our episode here. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened in this very episode. Um, yeah, but we, then we get these cool mechs. Uh, how do we feel about the design here? They're, they're sort of like, they have like diver helmets and also giant hook hands and treads. Thoughts, feelings on the mechs here? very threatening uh <laughs> yes. I, I like that they are tall uh I, <laughs> they're, they're, cool. they're cool i guess they gotta look like something and i guess this is one of the options yeah um as someone who loves giant robot they're a little tiny for my taste um you know they're like three times the height of a person i'm looking for something that can like knock out a building okay um Maybe that's like in the works somewhere else. And these are like the little drones, but um, I mean, they're cute. I like the diver helmet aspect to them. Yeah, I mean, they've got to do a first round where it's like, it's just these little guys uh, and then bigger and bigger, like they did with the first Fire Nation blimp. True. Yeah. My they're, thing they're before, plenty. oh, go for it. No, sorry. I was it's, just going to say, they're no. like, they're big. 
they're not very agile and yet no. they still manage to i don't know it's kind of like okay kind of like uh overpowered there a little bit but i guess that <laughs> makes sense because bending is kind of op in general <laughs> Yeah, right. I guess as far as mechs go, I'm like, because like, we've got the hand, like we've got like the glove hand ready to go. Like, so I'm just sort of like, I guess I was kind of expecting maybe it would just be like a, an Iron Man suit, a Samus like full body, but like late, not latex, but like exoskeleton <laughs> rather than um, tall man. Yeah, sure. Okay, Big so robot. the... <laughs> <laughs> big robot yeah um but you so the feet wasn't enough for you sam you got to bring in some latex here too like come on oh wait i was gonna say somebody said harness in this episode but it was in an episode of high school the musical the musical the series i was watching <laughs> not this um <laughs> before but okay between the feet and the mech um we there's a scene where they go down this like rolling platform tram situation and I was shocked that there nobody like dropped on them. Like no equalist goons like can't, like fell down on the thing. Like this is every video game, and they, they have this just... moving platform, and like no ninjas came down and started like fighting them while they were like on their way to the boss fight or anything. I know. I was like, are you are you expecting Contra to happen here or the Ninja Turtle game? Ninja Turtle the, game, exactly. Yeah, the Foot Clan. You wanted the literal Foot Clan to show up here for just a little scene. The Equalists in the Foot Clan are the exact same. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I think they wanted to do. Uh, uh, he's a little bit of a drama queen. Hiroshi is so he wanted to do like the big reveal, and it's like I, it's not that fun if they're like unconscious. He wants to like play with them a little bit. Mm -hmm. needed his monologue moment and if they yes. were already primed to fight they would come in swinging but he needed them a little calm a little fearful <laughs> yes yeah, well speaking of fighting though this is the first time we're seeing tenzin like fully airbend here like because he get he got taken out pretty quickly last episodes and he's doing some really cool shit here in this episode i must say Definitely. Tenzin's fighting in this episode inspired me to uh, have a new segment on the show. And I can't believe uh, we got through all of Avatar without ever officially having a segment where we discuss what the coolest airbending or not air, coolest bending move of the episode was. Like, it just feels like we should have been talking about this the whole time and like deciding. But when Tenzin did the air scooter, but it was really a wheel around his whole body, I was like, that was so cool. Uh, and so I'm going to try to mark something every episode as my favorite bending moment. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, the wind wheel is cool. I believe um, in the commentary they say, because like the lore behind airbending is you get your tattoos once you like invent like a move. And I believe this is like canonically Tenzin's move that he came up with, which is cute because, you know, um, Angst was the air scooter. And so Tenzin is, is like an elevated more badass version of that yeah i personally thought the old uh sneeze and trip that bolin and mako did was the coolest bending room oh uh, you know what actually that gets my vote you're right yeah i was like that was fucking genius <laughs> i love that too uh it was very like street rat kid and cop moment it was great yeah um mako and bolin they i feel like they've the show's kind of established they're not like um, like the best of their generation like team avatar was last time um but they do have their own little tricks and um they're they're just some little guys doing their thing plus there's two of them 
<laughs> two of them, yes. Um, and, but of course, Asami has to have the big hero moment of the episode. Um, I love this scene, um, and I like I love the shot of her like putting the glove on. That's so iconic. Um, and I believe like the, uh, we talked about this before, but there's a lot of like debate about whether Asami was going to turn out to be evil or not. And so this was just like a very gratifying thing for all of us who were always Team Asami. Um, and by us, I mean gay people. We just yeah. always knew she, that she she would never. She would never. Definitely. I will, like, I appreciate, I'm glad that we got some finality to that debate, and I love that she got the climactic moment of doing this, but when Hiroshi and the lieutenant guy turn around to look at her, if I'm Bolin or Mako in that moment, I'm, like, bending their asses, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, why am I even providing the opportunity for Asami to possibly turn on me? They're distracted, like, bend them, go! <laughs> Yeah, no. I guess they were like holding Korra and Tenzin and they were like, oh, we weren't we weren't planning on this. And like, it'd be awkward if we drop them now. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to see if this plays out in our favor. Yeah, they're That's just fair. in shock and they're just like two young boys who are out of their element uh, and are just like not sure what to do next. And it's great that Asami was able to help them out. Yeah, yeah. I knew. love that scene. It was fantastic. I always forget like how dramatic it is with like the lighting and the, cause you're right. The glove shot is like iconic. Uh, and it was just like, it, get, it gives me chills every time. Cause it's like, it's, it's a pretty well done subversion, I think. Um, cause she could very well have been evil. Uh, yeah, but she wasn't. Or well, just decide to be now that she knows that her father is like yeah. very easily just side with him, but she knows what's good and what's wrong. Queen. <laughs> yeah um i yeah i'm just so happy now that we can officially love asami asami um it was a tough time before this on tumblr for sure trying to defend <laughs> our girl but you know she proved once and for all you can be hot and good and th that's an important lesson it's true cora <laughs> take notes no <laughs> oh, just kidding just kidding she's um, good she's also good <laughs> how dare you um well yeah i feel like uh, like we said, really fun, good episode. Definitely, um, Sam is not nearly as in crisis as he was before over this. He's smiling ear to ear, loving Asami. Um, well, I think that's maybe the problem that the last few episodes have had. It was very Asami light, um, and we actually got to like get emotions out of her and get her read on the situation a little more. Um, which I hopefully the show going forward understands that she is the secret sauce that makes the show work. Yeah, Team Avatar doesn't work if it's just Korra and her boys. We need the whole crew. We do. Yeah, we need to make it a Scooby gang. Two mm -hmm. girls, two guys. No, Dog. They both have relationships with each other. <laughs> Although the two guys are brothers now, so that kind of complicates things. Sibling a relationship, relationship nonetheless. Yeah. Yes. Um, the, the final scene of this episode was, once again iconically set on a blimp uh and i felt it was very very good and cool we got the lynn final thing where she's like i'm quitting tomorrow and i'm gonna work outside the law it's like go off legend queen <laughs> um and you know cora and offers a home to mako and bo lynn and asami um and it, i was it was it was very it was very reminiscent to me of like 
the catching fire final scene and also like empire strikes back where everybody's sort of licking their wounds and like things are getting dark for our heroes but like they're still gonna fight yes that's a great yeah um as someone who just recently rewatched catching fire for like the millionth time uh yeah it felt very that um and so yeah just like catching fire i'm very excited um to keep watching having watched a masterpiece just now <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that scene. Um, I am an avid listener of the Legend of Korra soundtrack. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the soundtrack in that scene is always really good. It's like ominous. It's got all the like all the right vibes to put it in a technical <laughs> term. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought I it's a it's a very good like dire. I mean, this episode, I think, was also kind of about like, as we've been saying, like raising the stakes and stuff like that. I mean, you know, as it keeps going this whole season, it's just like more and more like, like bending is or anti-bending and taking it away is permanent. And like, and then like Lynn losing her job, kind of going away from the force, being a badass and stuff like that. And like losing your home or almost home adjacent. Like, so it's really, it's ramping it up a little bit. Yeah, and it's not, and it is, like, the stakes are raising and like, it's obviously getting dire for the heroes, but they're also like, they have some wins like they set up Hiroshi like Hiroshi seems very high up in the equalist organization um, and they like took him down and like figured out his whole deal. So yeah, like this was a really great episode plot wise uh, and we finally got our Asami proof that she's a good person. I would love it if we would get resolution on the fact that Korra kissed Mako and like it would be great if that could have come up or been talked about but um i guess well now that asami is going to be living at air temple island with mako and bolin like i just feel like these conversations will be difficult to avoid and hopefully we'll you know get uh fresh in the laundry or what air out the dirty laundry uh uh soon agreed yeah um yeah fresh in the laundry throw some dryer sheets in there um well um are those our concluding thoughts before we dive into like more spoilery territory uh, I can talk about Asami some more real quick. Uh, I did think <laughs> yeah. about something. Go for uh, it. Please do. I also think um, the scene with her in the glove was very poignant and subversive, not only because evil, um, <laughs> but also because like this whole time henceforth, she's just been like a pretty face kind of. And the whole episode is kind of about her like subverting like Cora's expectations of her and her dad's expectations. And that she is a pretty face, but she can also like kick your ass, um, which is, very girl boss of her, of course. Um, but it's it's very cool. Uh, I like the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yes, this was like Asami's episode, and I loved it. It was great. Totally, and it, like she's her previous episode where she was like actually a big deal was episode four, and in that one, she's kind of just established as like a nice girl who has money, um, and so it was nice to get her here, like she's got morals and like, she's a good fighter and like, she's like a benefit to the team beyond just like paying their way into the tournament and giving Mako a new scarf. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which those are important too. Sure. Um, like we said at the beginning of the episode, we love a new cartoon character outfit. We do. Exactly. She's here to provide that to us. One of the many ways in which she is a gay icon. Mm -hmm. Vroom vroom. Yes, <laughs> I believe Charlie XCX did write that song about Asami Sato. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay. Um, I guess before we dive into spoilers, Rachel, do you want to tell the good people where to find you on the internet? 
Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter and my handle is ITS just Hobbs. Um, it does say it's just Hobbs, but if I say at it's just Hobbs, it confuses everyone. Mm. Um, so I do have to spell it out. Um, and if you manage to find my other socials, uh, you deserve to find them, but I will not tell you what they are. <laughs> uh, just the Twitter. Just the Twitter is fine. I also just made a LinkedIn. Um, wow. And I hated every second of it. And I will not tell you all where to find it, me on there, but I needed to talk about it. <laughs> it truly sounds like you're graduating from college. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, well, uh, you can find me at Rain Derricks on Twitter. Um, you can find my other podcast uh, with our good friend Christine, The Shadow Play Gaze, where we talk about uh, the anime revolutionary girl Lutana. Lots of cars, lots of lesbians in there, like Sam said. Um, and you can follow us at Shadow Play Gaze on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Bitterger's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the backlog of Word on the Straits episodes at Word on the Straits, SCR8S on Instagram and Twitter. Still on hiatus. Uh, Joe is in recovery mode. He uh, is on vocal rest and just trying to soothe his swollen throat, uh, trying to get back to 100. We believe in you, Joe. We love you. We love you, Joe, and I hope you are okay, even though you probably aren't listening to this. <laughs> well, um, on that note, shall we talk about, I guess, the like broader implications of this episode? We kind of talked about it. Uh, yeah, Sam, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just like, eh, yeah, let's oh, do it. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, thought, you brought up the idea of, like, let's actually talk about the fact that they kissed, which I believe is, like, a main thrust of next episode um if mm. i'm remembering correctly i just have the only thing i remember about is like the visual of asami doing dishes and yelling at mako uh, which we love love it i <laughs> you know can't wait to remember it in full i i know this moment is coming but i don't have a strong recollection right um well that's something i did know in this episode uh, but i guess we can talk about it in a spoiler context where mako is like talking about cops like oh they're just doing their job like, okay, we get it, future cop. You're, like, all over it. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I always forget that aspect of Mako's character because it's Mako, and I don't like to think about him that much. Um, but uh, we aren't there yet, so I won't complain about it too much. Yeah, like, his arc is very strange. Like, it, he's, like, a uh, sports star, but also homeless, and then police officer and then gay royal bodyguard mm -hmm. <laughs> confusing uh steps uh, the different stones he decides to stand on right i mean boleyn it's sports slash homeless person and then movie star and then fascist yeah <laughs> and then good again yeah like uh not fascist adjacent but like uh, accomplice fascist yeah accomplice. yeah He's uh, an affiliate. Yeah, yes, um, affiliate. an unwitting himbo who wanders into fascism. Oh, it happens. Hate to see it. <laughs> Hate to see it. But his hair was banging when he was a fascist. I'll say it. it that was. does make sense, though. Like, I I mean, I don't really know a lot about this, but if I've seen Inglorious Bastards enough, I do know that, uh, you know, celebrities and movie stars you know, were used for propaganda, etc. And like maybe you had ties to like the Nazi party, like we were talking about. Uh, but I don't know if that was just in uh, one film that I've seen. 
That makes sense to me. Uh, speaking of feet people, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I'm trying to think uh, other things. Obviously, uh, we talked about this idea of losing bending. Uh, Lynn, obviously, is heading down that path very, very tragically. Um, but I, something I found, I find weird about this, I don't think it'll ever make sense to me, is the fact that it's like healers couldn't deal with it, given that it's purely through bloodbending that this happens, as we find out. I still don't... Maybe it's just because they just don't know that they can't do it, but then it's like, well, then why is Kor the only one who can fix it? Like, I don't know. I don't want to think about it too much, I guess. Yeah, like, maybe healers would be able to if they were told that it is bloodbending, but maybe because they don't have access to, like, the energy-bending side of things, they, like, can't get a read on what's actually wrong and, like, don't know how to fix it. Like, it's just a... But it's just, like, how did this even... How did... I don't remember <laughs> if this is discussed, but, like, how did... Amon or whatever his name is, uh, figure out how to do this. Even like what? I don't. I don't remember anything. He's just super powerful, from all I remember. They're yeah. like he's child prodigy. Therefore, he knew how to do this. Yeah, it went from wolves to uh, taking away bending. I don't know. Maybe you could just say like he met chi blockers and they taught him the pressure points, and then he was like, "Oh, well, I can just do that." Um permanently like yeah permanently <laughs> yeah well i guess you're you bring up an interesting point because then Cora goes to katara and she still can't fix her and katara knows what bloodbending is um right. but i guess like doesn't know because that's kind of like she didn't always know what bloodbending was and so it's just a different bloodbending technique that she's not familiar with maybe sure yeah that makes sense this um, show is all about making the waterbenders seem like worse healers because later Toph is the only one who can fix Korra when she's poisoned by the metal. Yeah, it's a tough yeah. look for the waterbenders in the <laughs> in the series. I guess series. they're more like surface healers. Can they heal like broken bones? Was that ever dis established? Earthbenders or uh waterbenders. Waterbenders heal broken bones. Cuz like how extensive is their healing? Yeah, really? how deep can it go or is, yeah. or is this all just pomp and circumstance? They're really over, over inflating what they can actually do. Yeah. Like if my arm falls off, I'm going to trust the firebender to cauterize it more than a waterbender to sort of like do whatever she does. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, I mean, what else? I mean, Hiroshi, the mechs, uh, obviously we will get a gigantic mech way later in the series and we'll also get some hummingbirds um and we'll get a redemption arc for our boy hiroshi even um, for whatever reason <laughs> we, because he, because why not he's a dad he is Dads a dad aren't evil they're just misguided and <laughs> accidentally <laughs> racist sometimes you know dad. Okay, now i'm sort of seeing the true to life nature of <laughs> yeah. the plot arc that hiroshi goes on <laughs> the, from racist to hummingbird maker yeah, I do also like that As Asami is sort of like, oh, dad, you didn't like me dating a firebender? Well, guess what? And she dates a woman. <laughs> I'm a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> I get but that. that, like like Rachel was saying at the beginning of this episode, this episode is huge for the foundation of the Korasami ship. Um, Going to be some rocky road ahead for our gals, especially as the Mako kiss comes to light. Um, but you know, this episode was such a strong foundation. And also like, I feel like even from episode four, people were shipping Korra and Asami together. Uh, so this was just like an awesome, 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 uh, 
vamp up in fervor for these girls to kiss. Absolutely. Yes, it really, it is truly everything we are, us, the, the Korsami uh, fans were built on this episode, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And it's uh, very poignant. Um, but I was trying to think, oh, I was going to say, uh, I was disappointingly, uh, because I did watch this when I was quite a bit younger, uh, originally a Makora shipper. Um, oh. I did root for the straights, couldn't help it. Um, it's just because I wanted to date Cora. Now we know. Oh. Um, <laughs> so season one was pretty huge uh, for us. We were all like really popping bottles and like having a good time. <laughs> and little did we know that this was going to be the high point of Makora. And you after that, no Cora more pop bottles. Yeah, the infamously unpopped bottles will <laughs> yeah. come on the way. <laughs> like at this point in the show, Makora has like already peaked. Like the high water mark was the episode where they were looking for Bolin. Like I think that was episode three. And so like everything that happens beyond this, I'm sure anybody listening is like not surprised, but it's like it's just all bad whenever they interact anything beyond friendship from like here on out. Well, did they do is the episode where Korra goes missing, was that already happened or hasn't happened yet? Uh, are you thinking of in book two when she like gets eaten by a spirit monster? No. The... She's like oh, kidnapped. Oh, no, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, she yeah it's like at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. a Makora high point, I think, because mm. he's all worried about her, and it's sweet. After that, it is. That's downfall. fair. You are correct. <laughs> yeah, the whole amnesia thing is not, not great. Yeah, uh... Asami kissing him. Also, the the love triangle, which is technically like a true love triangle, which I can appreciate. True. Um, messy as always. <laughs> we, we can appreciate it from a technical standpoint. Yes. pulling off the true triangle. The um, true triangle. Beyond that, blah, I say to all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, is uh, sh- <laughs> should we end on unpopped uh, Mycora bottles? Well, before we do, like, and this could have gone pre pre spoilers, but like, I do like in this episode that Lynn and Tenzin were like able to put aside their like years long beef and like work for the greater good, and like I think that that speaks well to like where their characters did with each other and sort of like they're becoming actual adults even though they've known each other their whole like because obviously they've known each other their whole lives it's probably really easy to revert back into like being a teen or like being a kid and being super emotionally like drawn in by their like spat that they had all those years ago but it was great to see them work together so strong and so uh well respected by their community so i was glad that they were able to put aside their differences yeah i agree yeah it's a good like sort of parallel to like what the kids are going through like yeah even when you're in your 40s 50s however old they are you're still gonna be dealing with that bullshit um so sometimes you just gotta put it aside and ride your wind scooter and beat up some thugs in a metal thingy (laughs) i don't know (laughs) that's my relationship advice to everyone if you're trying to get over a crush just like take your giant spikes and punch a robot yeah well they're also like a love triangle it's like him his wife and Lynn. Pema uh, inserting herself yes. as the third point. And Are you Arcea saying it's a true that. love triangle where Pema and Lynn uh, will have had romantic issues? Uh, I I'd say that's canon. <laughs> Based on nothing, I would say that's canon. It is a true mm-hmm. love triangle. So you're right in that it uh, also like mirrors what the kids are going through because like 
Mako, well, actually, Mako's kind of a bitch, and, but when isn't he? Um, to Korra, where he's like, oh, this is just because you're jealous of me and Asami? She's like, no. No. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but like, <laughs> no, I'm doing my job. Oh, Mako. He means well, question mark? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, looking out for himself in Bolin, and like I get that, and that makes sense as his like character motivation. But uh, it's not like fun to watch. No. <laughs> He's like an unfun Cersei Lannister. It's all about the family for him. Yeah, very true. <laughs> uh, well, um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us uh, once again. Remind the people where to find you and where not to find you. Uh, really just Twitter. I do have an Instagram. Um, it's just my name. You could probably find me, but, uh, my Twitter, which is ITS just Hobbs. It's just Hobbs. Um, I post a lot of stuff on there. I've been doing, uh, like a theme this whole month where I've been saying happy pride to X. Mm. Um, this today was, uh, I've been doing it every day. Uh, so I'm kind of spent for ideas, but, uh, <laughs> it's almost over. Thank God pride is almost over. Um, yeah. But I did actually today say uh, happy pride to queer storylines that had happy endings. And it oh. included Hmm. And that is what prompted me to DM you. So it actually all worked out. And I'm glad <laughs> you were doing the uh, promotion. Yes. Thank you. Wow. Fate. Your, your Instagram is kind of like Hiroshi's factory. It's hidden, but sort of exactly where you would expect it to be. Exactly. <laughs> It is also, you also have to go down a very long uh, elevator shaft to get there. Uh, yes, no it is hidden under multiple fake accounts. <laughs> and, and no you have foot clear. Huge banners to your uh, idols. <laughs> yeah, that was a little much there. Yeah, the I giant am, Amon faces. I am, a, <laughs> we are now equating me with the supremacist. <laughs> very, uh, get very a little dicey. <laughs> I do believe in uh, Korosami supremacy, though. So it there works you out. Go. There it is. Me too. No. Uh, you can follow me at Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter, at Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram and Twitter. It's like, uh, you can find me at Rain Derricks on Twitter. Uh, you can find my other podcasts, uh, The Shadow Play Gaze, at Shadow Play Gaze on Twitter. And you can follow us at Bitterjurist Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thank you again, Rachel, so much. And thank you all for listening. Bye. 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 Thank you for having me. Mm hmm.